Speaking yeah. of the last episode, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was awesome. That's good. I, I think I'm going to have to skip some more. I don't I, think you should. I don't I'm think glad you you're me. back. In fact, I think I bring this whole thing down. This episode, I'm just going to sit here and listen to you guys. No, you 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 bring a lot to the table, Jake. You you're very very uh, you have personality. A- and I interrupt a lot. <laughs> You have, I do go. that too, though. You have a great personality. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And yes, you do interrupt a lot. I was also pleased to have missed last week so that I wasn't a participant in the blatant breaking of NDAs. No, there was no... Yes, there was. Mm. We we blatantly just went I lo- for it. I love the, the disclaimer at the beginning. We can't really go into any details because of the NDA, but here are all the details. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think that it sounded like there was a lot of details, but... All the secrets are still inside. Mm. I hope. It's good. I learned a lot. It's fantastic. That's good. And I have sat down and uh, and watched some videos since then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, while I was while I was on my multiplex beta break, I um, I was while I was coding some PHP stuff. I thought, well, I'm not dealing with Xcode right now, so maybe I'll watch some stuff about Xcode. So I watched the I watched the Cocoa Tips, and I was like, I don't know, like. Half of these. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. Because I don't... Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last week, but I really liked that talk. Even though I don't think I learned anything I'm I would actually to, use probably, in a probably, real project. But it was still really I, interesting. I used, I've used at least a couple of them already, and I will probably watch it two or three more times just so I can kind of get it through my, you know, in my head. I haven't watched it yet. I, I, You're missing out, Jake. Yeah. So clearly, that is one... That I'd like to watch. I've actually got. I've, so in the uh, app, you can favorite sessions, mm-hmm. and I started favoriting sessions even before the videos were released, and was pleased that those favorites carry through to the video list. So you get a star for videos that you favorited. Um, and I've got such a huge backlog of sessions that I've I'd love to watch. I think that's one of the biggest downsides of not attending the conference in person is even though you get all the content, I, I, it's hard to set aside the time. You know, if you, if you go there, you you actively set aside a week in which to, in, you know, go th- listen to all the content, engage yeah. with it, think about it, talk to people after the sessions, talk to engineers in the labs, you know. Whereas I've been trying to do like a, a session a day, um, but then, you know, still trying to find the time to follow up from listening to it to trying stuff out and, yeah. That being said, um, like I, I watch a lot of videos and TV <laughs> <laughs> I watch a lot of videos and and TV and stuff like that while I while I work. Like I'll just have it sitting there and having it on, like like people have music on. Wow, I I can't uh, code and hear people talking at the same well, that's, time. Neither. That's the thing. I a lot of the time it's just kind of it's just background noise in the same way that music is background noise. Um, the problem with watching videos uh, like sessions from WWDC while I work is that I find myself either going to one or the other because I can't concentrate on two yeah. on both things at the yeah, same exactly. time so I felt I had I have to keep go- you know, re- rewinding back so I so I hear stuff yeah. um so it's, it's the sort of thing that you can't or at least I can't really watch while I'm doing something else I actually have to you know pay attention yeah, to it and focus it, which makes makes it really hard to actually um you know take the time I, to watch it I can it. kind of um I can half listen to a session whilst doing design stuff. Like if I'm doing some stuff in Photoshop or I'm just doing bits and pieces, um, I can kind of half listen and then tune in when it gets relevant. Like if I hear, you know, a lot of the sessions are kind of 
uh, revisiting the, you know, refreshing the state of knowledge on a particular topic and then introducing like some new stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yep. You're going to listen, half listen through to the, you know, the background stuff you already know. And then when they start talking about the new stuff, I kind of concentrate. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, so last, uh, last episode was great. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Cool. And this episode, we have follow up. We do. Well, kind of. We have questions. A question from uh, an audience member, which is great. Keep, please keep them coming in. It's we, fantastic. We love your, we love your questions. Yeah, so, it's really nice to uh, hear from people who are listening to the show and hear about the sorts of topics that you would like uh, us to discuss. So this question comes from Ben Williamson on app.net. Uh, and there, it, there are three questions. Firstly, Objective-C++, do you use it? Uh, yes, do you use it? And uh, what do you think of it, really? I've used it. Um, there's not much to it, really. It's just the ability to use C++ and Objective-C at the same time. I mean, at first I thought it was... When I first heard, heard of it, I thought it was crazy because when I first got into iOS programming, I was like, what is this Objective-C thing? It's an object-orientated C. Isn't that why, what C++ yeah, is? Yeah, why not just use C++? And then I sort of learned about the history and all that. But then I heard about Objective-C++ and I was like, all right, this is just crazy. What is the point of that? And th there isn't too much point in that it just lets you use them both at the same time. So if you have a C++ library, like say Box2D, which is a physics engine, you can use it in your Objective-C code. Right. So just like Objective-C is a superset of C. So within an Objective-C class, you can write Objective-C and C. That's right. And they're both valid. Objective-C++ is uh, a superset of C++. So you can write Objective-C yes. and C++ That's right. intermingled together. And what I generally use it for is just to wrap. So I wrote a Box2D wrapper because I didn't right. like having to put... So when you use Objective-C++, you have to, instead of your class files being .m, they become .mm, mm -hmm. which is like the symbol for Objective-C++. Mm. <laughs> um, and that breaks a few things in Xcode, like the refactor tools. Don't like .mms. I'm no not way. sure why. But yeah, so it got quite tiring that suddenly all of my classes were now Objective-C++ rather than just normal Objective-C. And Xcode, it still works fine, but just little things don't work anymore. So I tend to wrap all my C++ I, in Objective-C. I kind of prefer that approach anyway. Like To be honest, I kind of cringe at the idea of mixing it two languages disgusting. in a single file. Yeah, I hate it. Um, but sometimes I have to do it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think a, a common approach I've seen is, as you say, wrapping. So you have a C++ library or a few C++ functions and you kind of might have them in a single file but and write a Objective-C wrapper around it. So you expose some Objective-C methods to provide the functionality and then, you know in that .mm file, just call the C++ stuff to do the work. That's right. Pass around a few pointers. Pointers. Oh, I remember them vaguely. I love pointers. Question two. Yes, question two is uh, how is ARC implemented and are there any gotchas? Um, I feel not particularly qualified to answer this question because ARC is just magical, right? It, it just works. <laughs> Isn't I did ARC like an electricity thing? Right, yeah, so when, when electricity jumps from one place to another, it, that's it actually the icon, the logo yeah. symbol they use for it. Uh, so, automatic reference counting. Well, I I did look this up right because I saw the question and I thought, you know what, that's a really good question. I should I should actually maybe 
research this a little bit because I've ac- I, I do actually use it. Um, See, this that is being the, this- said, I'm completely yeah. You know, I, I th- this is the basic version, right? It's not like I'm not going to give you something that's super in depth. Um, basically, when uh, at, at a certain point within um within like you know xcode's history it was able to it, it started being able to actually point out when you were when you needed to release an object uh you know, that you'd retained um and so arc is kind of a step up from that because if xcode can already determine that you need to release an object then why can't it just do it for you mm, yeah exactly so i think this came from apple's move from G- the gcc compiler to llvm Yes, you were right. Yeah. And it had much better support for sort of static analysis of the code, things like you're talking about, you know, analyzing your code to see where you were meant to release and where you didn't. Um, and that first became available as sort of warnings. Yeah. And so basically prior to Arc, um, memory management was the responsibility of the developer. You had to explicitly uh, retain an instance that you wanted to hang on to and use for a while and release it when you were done. Yep. Uh, and that would increment and decrement the retain count and when the retain count reached zero that memory could be freed so it wasn't completely manual in that you didn't have to call is it malloc and free correct which are the c equivalents uh but retain and release a kind of you know incrementing and decrementing a counter so that when the counter reaches zero it's freed um and arc automatic reference counting is the idea of using the features of the llvm compiler to automatically write that code for you. So it is part of... It's a pre-compilation phase, I, I think. I'm not yeah, entirely sure. Yeah, it is. Yep. And, um, yeah, it basically put inserts the retain and release calls that you would have written yourself That's exactly right. before compiling it. But it, it can do it smarter than you because in some things that we would have never done... Um, so generally every time you alloc, you release in the same method and that keeps it nice and clean. Um, Arc can, because it reads all your code, it can go you know what, I don't actually have to retain it here or release it here because it's retained by this other method, which would have been horrible programmer technique, but when it's compiling it, I guess it doesn't matter so much. So a lot of art code actually runs faster than what you could have written yourself using best practices. Which is fantastic. Mm. And I, one of the problems, so I do use Arc, and I feel embarrassed that I, I don't feel qualified to answer Ben's question. Have Using Arc, I feel like, I should know very well how it how it works, um, and that's I guess one of the criticisms I have of it is that it kind of happens magically for you and transparently to you as a programmer. It's something the compiler is doing for you. Um, so in some respects, uh, it's hidden from view, and therefore maybe you can get away with not really knowing explicitly what's happening all the time. But I I always. F- feel suspicious of things like that because you get to a point where it's doing something that you really do need to know about and you kind of because it's been hidden from you for so long you kind of forget about it or are unaware of it and haven't thought about what it's doing until you get to the point where something is going wrong and you really need to understand why and so part of me when arc came in i felt reluctant to embrace it i wanted to continue being explicit and releasing or retaining things myself and therefore i would know you know i'd understand when I needed to and when I didn't. Uh, but I've gotten over that and I've just used it and rely on the compiler to warn me when I'm doing things stupidly. Um, and I guess I'm only aware of one part of Ben's question was, are there any gotchas? The only that I'm aware of relates to um, 
blocks and the potential for retain cycles is that yeah so the it, it's not complete like arc isn't completely magical there is still stuff that you actually do have to do in order to you know make sure that you're being efficient with memory and stuff like that um and using things like like weak uh weak objects uh pointers and stuff like that is yeah so i think i guess part of um, part of that what i've done as as in adopting arc is i have also stopped using instance variables within my classes but use properties pretty much exclusively now yep so uh, often there'll be private properties that i declare just in the anonymous interface at the top is that what it's called an anonymous category on my you know where you do yep. interface yeah. you put the interface at the top of your class it's i'm interface. not sure what the technical term is. i think it's an anonymous category because there's those uh empty parentheses after the name mm. of your class and if you were adding a category you'd have something in there that you know, was the name of the category you're adding. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so in that interface at the top of the implementation file, I add some private properties for what I would have previously just used instance variables for. And in doing so, I'm able to indicate the memory management semantics that I want those properties have so I can have them be strong or weak or assign. So Arc still works on instance variables. Yeah, but I just felt like... um. Yeah, properties are better. I just wanted yeah. to clarify that. The the thing, the reason I liked properties was um that I felt like there was still a little bit of explicitness to do with what I wanted to happen with the memory for that variable. So if I declare it as a strong property, then I'm telling Arc to retain it. Mm-hmm. And if I declare it as a weak property, I'm telling Arc not to. Is that right? Well, yeah, it's just a weak reference. So yeah. you can do the same thing with instant variables. You just use... I mean, every instance under, variable under, is assumed strong. Weak. So if you really wanted to, you could go underscore underscore strong before all your instance variables and your... And double underscore and, weak. And underscore underscore weak for weak. And uh, and there's also the other one, which is uh, double underscore... Bridge? Yeah, there's bridge. And there is the the other one that's like weak. Um, uh, uh, unsafe, unsafe, unretained. unretained. That's, that's for iOS 4 support. Yeah, well, the difference between weak and, and that is that... Uh, is that they both basically do the same thing, except weak will actually uh, set you set that property to nil when yeah. it's when it's uh, once it's re- been released. Whereas unsafe unretained won't do that, and it'll end up pointing to bad memory space. Hmm. <laughs> so there are a couple more gotchas that I know of. Now you got to watch out when you're talking between C objects and Objective C. And the really common one that a lot of people run into is CG color. Or CG color ref, right? So this is where you've got um, you wanting to set the color of a CA layer or something, mm-hmm. and it takes a CG color, and so you go UI color black color, and then you ask it for its CG color. That's it. So w- what a lot of people used to do, and it used to work fine, was you go um, CG color ref my color equals UI color red color dot CG color, and so you have yes. this nice line of a CG color ref, and then in your next line you put that CG color ref into whatever method set background color. Uh, that doesn't work under Arc. That'll just crash straight away. Right, because that CG color ref isn't retained, and by the time you pass it to your yeah, so the CG color ref is referring to a struct inside the UI color, which is now gone because right. nothing retained it. So it um, takes so the first time I saw that, I was confused for ages because you just look at that line and go. Well, there's nothing wrong there. That line is so simple. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's what it is. So the fix is to do it all in a single statement instead of assigning the result of the UI colors 
yeah, color to a variable. Most people now just use UI color dot CG color inside the method or whatever. Yep. So you you can store your UI color in another variable. Just make sure it's UI color rather than CG, CG color, color yep. and then just go color dot CG color. You can also use special bridge methods, but they are confusing and they look messy. And but yeah, that's the other one I was going to say. There's does the compiler warn you about that first one? Cause no. Well, it, I haven't done it for a while because now I avoid it, but. Right. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. When I did it, it definitely did not. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's all the bridge methods that go with arc, and they're how you can define what happens to your C objects as you move them around with arc. Um, and you can actually use that to take control of an object away from arc. So you can have underscore to a bridge retain and underscore to a bridge release, I think. But yeah, there I don't really understand them that well. I've had to use them maybe once. This bridge transfer, which transfers control from Arc to you. Um, yeah, you'd have to look them up. But they're they're the messy edge cases. Yeah, so it which seems you still like, have to know about, especially if you deal with C code. Right. So it seems like if you're using Arc predominantly with Objective C, you never probably need to know about that stuff. Yep. And that is sad. I agree. I still I don't know if this is this is probably just me hanging on to the old ways. But every now and then, if I have a some dummy project that I'm, it's never going to probably last more than a day. I might just write that without arc just to see I still remember how to do it. That is sad. Oh, <laughs> okay. So so there's one last gotcha I think that I can think of uh, for arc, and that is when you use uh, open source libraries. Oh, yeah, that's a good you one. You really should make sure that if you're using arc and that's not using Arc. You have to actually... Um, th- there's some steps that you have to take in order to make that, you know, work. Um, you're going to... So, if if it's one of the... If it's a library where you are actually... Like, you have the source files within your project, um, you actually have to go into your build phases and in compile uh, sources, you select the files that you know, aren't using Arc or are using Arc depending on how like how it differs to your project. And you add like a compiler flag. Um I it's, think it's Yeah, it's dash F no underscore obj C underscore Arc. Yeah. Or if you want it to use arc. arc, it's dash I think it I've never just, done it because my no... project's default to Arc, but yeah. I'm pretty sure you just take the no off. Yeah, but it's just, just you use the opposite one to whatever your build yeah. settings are. You, you you just use the opposite one. So if it's if it's not using arc and you are, then use the uh, use use the arc one. And if it sorry, use the no arc one to build yeah. those files. And if it it is using arc and you're not, you know what I mean. Yep. And it's it's good to know that you can do that. Yeah. So if yeah, you do exactly. get code, it's you don't really have to sit there and convert it. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great sort of transition step that they did. That you didn't have to transition everything to Arc straight away. Yeah. In fact, I even had some um, projects that I was working on where I switched the project to Arc, but only for new classes that I wrote. Hmm. So there were still old classes yeah. in there that weren't Arc, um, and kind of it works worked really well. There is, I think, an actual method within Xcode to actually yeah, uh, it's in the refactor like to, menu to transition did, your did entire I, project. Did I mention that I don't trust Magic? Yeah. I don't know. Except for Arc. Except for Arc. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which I you just feel said is magical. It, kind of, it, it is. kind of walks you through it, I think. I used it on progressions when, when, I, when Arc started and I was like, well, I should probably start using this. It's probably better than trying to manage it myself. That's... I, I come from PHP. I have no, like, I have no background in many memory management at all. Uh, and... So I just... I, I thought, yeah, Arc is definitely something that I really should start using. And so... 
I just used it and it worked fine. And I yeah. think, you know, it, anything that you kind of miss or gets wrong usually gets a compiler warning anyway. So, yeah. In fact, I think that command now will convert, I think it's convert to modern Objective-C. It'll do no, Arc two. and... I think there's two still. Oh, right. Still two separate ones. Yeah. Convert to modern Objective-C gives you literals and all that. Arrays, definitions. Yeah. And that might take us actually to a to Ben's final question, which is uh, with all the changes in... See, it's a good thing he posted this on app.net because you wouldn't have been able to fit three questions on Twitter. <laughs> uh, with all the changes in iOS 7, is now a good time to be getting back into iOS development? Uh, and I think uh, Ben may have last done iOS development in iOS 3.4 or that sort of time frame. Um, so I would say definitely yes. I think that iOS 7 seems like it's pretty big change from 6 and I think particularly the um, even the visual changes which you'd think from a programmer's point of view aren't going to make a huge difference just because things look different I think it's kind of resetting users expectations a bit um, and it will mean that lots of people will need to revisit the kind of idea of their apps um, start thinking about it in terms of the new operating system and the new experience as well as the whole heap of things like new background APIs or you know being able to do more in the background and kind of I think yeah if you were re- revisiting iOS development now kind of starting fresh on iOS 7 you kind of have in some ways a bit of an advantage because you can just think in terms of the new world and not have to worry about the kind of legacy of an existing app that that, that you've got to try and rework to fit into that yeah definitely why did you ever stop? I mean, it just gets better and better every year, I it, think. It really does get better and better. <laughs> I, I I feel like uh I feel like every year is there is there are new reasons why uh you know, why why doing objective C programming and making apps for iPhones and stuff like that, why that's more and more interesting. Uh yeah, why 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 would you stop? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, so I can understand um, part so another thing I think is going to be great about iOS seven is I think it's a little bit of a reset of the whole ecosystem in the sense that you know if you go forward in time six months from now iOS seven's out there on on a lot of devices and a lot of people are uh, installing new apps on their new iOS seven devices there'll be a big difference between apps that have been updated with it for iOS seven and those that haven't like. It's almost like there'll be a new app store. You know, there'll yeah. be the, the legacy app store full of the hundreds of thousands of existing apps. And then there'll be the iOS 7 app store, which at the moment has no apps in it. So it, now's an opportunity to be one of those developers who has your app amongst the first apps in the new app store. Um, I really do think it will have that. Maybe I'm being naive and in reality, users aren't going to. No, they so will. And it happens all the time. So when yeah. iOS, which one do we get multitasking in? Five. Nah, multitasking was before five, wasn't it? No, it was five, four, four. Anyway, when it happened, they put a little note in every app in the app store that said, like, you know, optimize for iOS, whatever. And that was to suggest it has the new features and it's not going to crash when you open it. And then the next year we got the iPhone 5 or the year after that, whenever it was. And, you know, that started a whole new app store as well. Everyone hated non-stretching apps. It just definitely. Every time there's a new iOS release... It's a massive opportunity to get in there because people go looking for new apps. Like they don't, yeah. they have some loyalty to their ones they use every day. But and I guess the 
the bigger the difference between the new release and the one that it's replacing, the greater that opportunity yeah. to sort of start uh, with something new. I believe uh, Marco Arment uh, posted a blog post on that actually, um, on how it you know the the release of iOS seven is going to be a reset for for the app store oh, and go. how you can you know how it's this is a, a key time for developers who you know have had an idea for you know an app that there is already existing apps for but it's going to be difficult for them to actually upgrade to the so new you're telling interface me his new app is in fact instapaper <laughs> it's instapaper <laughs> re, re, it's, it's re-thought instapaper and redesigned for iOS 7, for iOS 7. we've guessed it haven't we nice <laughs> we figured it out uh so i was actually thinking of doing a weather app Perfect time for it. Don't just don't tell anyone at Shifty Jelly. <laughs> Hang on, they I don't was, listen, do they? I was going to do a podcast app. That was my other thought too. <laughs> yeah. Mind you, uh, my podcast app will only give you mobile couch. That's it. You can't actually subscribe to anything else. That's it. And Jelly and Bean, of course. Yeah. Yes. So this sounds like a good segue into the next story, which was that I made an app, and it was a pretty simple idea. I won't say what it is yet, but I put it up to Apple. And they rejected it for being too simple. And I was like, oh, is that really their choice? So that's what I mean. So getting back into iOS development is great and stuff, but there's still, I feel the biggest problem is still getting it approved by Apple. What do you guys think of that? Uh, I'm I'm really surprised and interested to hear that they rejected an app because that it was too simple. Um, Well, I'll say the idea. So my app was really simply, I'm a pilot. Uh, and the app shows you all the airports near you. So hang on, not only are you a rock star iOS game developer, but you're also a pilot. Do you have your own jet? Not yet. Any day now. Excellent. Um, yeah, so you list all the airports near you, and then you tap one, and it shows you the weather. And the weather's in a pilot format, so it's not very pretty. It's just text, but that's all pilots want. Like we just want to. We don't need to see a pretty rendered sun to say it's sunny. We can just read the text, which is what we get from the weather service. And anyway, they rejected it for being too simple. Wow. And that disheartened me. Yeah, that seems strange. Because I, I, I seem to recall Apple being advocates of the kind of single proposition app. The exactly. Idea. I, I remember a session at some Apple event, whether it was WWDC or a, one of those tech talks, where they talked about the idea of um, rather than trying to create apps that do everything and have multiple functions in a single app, um, you know, I think they used the example of a travel situation. You know, if the problem you're trying to address is travel, you know, someone's traveling overseas and they might want to book airfares, find a hotel, translate some text, don't go and build an app that provides all of those things and is like a portal for all of your travel needs. Um, try and address one, have a single proposition app that does a really good job of addressing a single part of the problem and allow the user to create their own complete solution by downloading a number of different apps and i kind of like that idea i think it works really well um it leads to having a situation where the design of each application is really focused on one thing um it keeps the apps focused it keeps it easier to implement and do a really good job of if you're not distracted by trying to cram too many features in there easier to for the user to understand what an app is for and what it does for them um so for apple to then turn around and say Sorry, your idea is too focused. Um, yeah. 
seems a little arbitrary and weird. I don't know. I vaguely remember that there was something in the App Store review guidelines about... Well, yeah, they did give me the rule reference and it was apps that uh, provide little to no entertainment value or are simply wrappers of a website or something. I'll find the reference. But yeah, that's the one they used. Okay. And they, the reason was your app seems to just display weather information with no other features. Right. And therefore, we have deemed it to be too simple. I was like, oh, okay. And I guess if there was an existing website that had that information and all your app was doing was displaying the information that was already available on a website somewhere, I could kind of understand that. But if you're providing it in a convenient way, I don't yeah, know. I mean, there's definitely no, well, not that I know of, no other app that does this. I put a bit of effort. It didn't take me that long, I'll admit. But I had all these great ideas for it, and I was like, no, I'll just do the whole minimum viable product thing, put it up, see if people are interested, and then if I get some downloads, I'll put in all these features I was dreaming of. Yeah, and I think that's generally a really good approach. You don't want to like, you don't want to anticipate too much the sort of features people might want because chances are you could be wrong and, you know, you could spend all this time implementing features which no one ever uses. Um, maybe it needs something like a geolocation so instead of having to select the airport, it just tells you which one's near you. It does. Oh, it lists all the ones near you by distance and then you tap the ones because it might, if, it'll, if you're already at the airport, you know, you're probably not flying to the exact place you're standing in so it will right. list all the ones around you. So yes. I can't really pick one exactly. Yeah. But still... There is some effort there. It's not a, It's not that simple. Yeah. It sounds It sounds useful. Maybe they just don't understand what pilots need. I think that's what it is, and I clicked the appeal button, and that's what I said. So we'll wait and see. Okay. So there's, there is an opportunity now. There is an app store there review is a appeal process. appeal process. I'm not sure how it works yet because I've only clicked the button and filled out the form. I haven't heard anything back except for we have received your appeal, and we'll, you'll hear from us soon. Right. So, yeah. You have to keep us informed. I will. What's your take on this situation, Jelly? Aren't Apple all about the text now with iOS 7? <laughs> Maybe I need letter pressing. Oh, that was probably under NDA. Were your fonts skinny? <laughs> um, I used Avenir, however you pronounce oh, it. Oh, that's so last it, week. That's so iOS 6. That's resubmit with the Helvetica new skinny skinny. You're right. And dynamic text support. Mm. Yeah. Actually, we'll it's, it's apps like that that I like a really simple focused app that I'd like to build first for iOS 7. Like, you know, I'm yeah. kind of a bit, um, yeah, I want to start with something small and simple just to try out a whole heap of the new, as many of the new features that may or may not exist because they may or may not be under NDA as possible in one app, which probably might actually be a really worthwhile app to release. Anyway, just call it the iOS 7 app. Yeah, it shows up everything. <laughs> the iOS 7 toolkit app thing <laughs> demo. App. Good luck getting that approved. It'll be like it'll be like have it when you buy uh when you buy a new console. Like when Nintendo sells a new console, they always kind of sell it with a game that demonstrates its new like its new features. When mm-hmm. I got the when I got the Wii U uh, earlier this year. It comes comes with a game called Nintendo Land, or it came with a game called Nintendo Land, which is or the the entire point of this of this quote game is to uh is is to just show off you know what what you can do with the console. But it's Here, it's you really can, good. You can though. direct every direct everybody by tapping the big screen that's on your controller. Nintendo Land was so fun. Did it you try good. it multiplayer? I haven't. I haven't got a this is so second off topic, controller, but you have to try it multiplayer because that game was. 
just made me feel great about having a Wii U. And then nothing else came out. Anyway. That's another podcast. It, anyway. Well, it's actually so, interesting. It, I think it's relevant because I think Apple do the same, right? When a new version of iOS comes out, they do feature and draw attention to apps that take advantage of features that are new to that version of the operating system. Um, but only ones that do it well and tastefully and that are enjoyable to use. Yeah, yeah that's right. So my so hypothetical they, iOS... They feature, they feature third-party apps that do, do the same sort of stuff uh, on the App Store by basically promoting it. So all we need is like a Nintendo Land app. Sounds good. Let's do it. Well, what what have you? What else have you guys been up to uh, lately? I've been playing with some new APIs. I could tell you about. Sounds great. I've been building building uh, multiplex. So which we're very close to pushing for a release now. So that's that's nice. Well, but I'll... but I haven't been playing with anything new. So well, I'll, let me tell you about some of the new things I've been playing with. And it's been fun because um, I'm in an exploratory phase on a couple of apps that I'm working on. So not really needing to knuckle down and do serious implementation, but just do little experiments to see what might work, um, which is always fun. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things I've looked at. One are, is uh, Windows Azure mobile services, yeah. um, which I think if you're an iOS dev, uh, you've probably particularly if you're one who listens to podcasts. Or if you go to conferences. Yeah, or read websites. You've probably heard about it because they've <laughs> advertised it everywhere. And if you're an iOS dev who doesn't do any of those things, then I have no idea how you even understand how to create iOS apps. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably can't escape the fact that Windows Azure Mobile Services exists. Um, this is not a sponsor spot. They, they are force-feeding it everywhere. Yeah, they're, to whoever they can, they can force feed it to. But they're not paying me for my comment at the moment, so I can give you an honest assessment. Uh, I had heard about it all over the place, and, and it was on my list of things I'd like to mess with at some point. Uh, and I was working on an app that um, provided an opportunity to mess with it a little bit. So the idea basically is a um, a web page that lists um, items of business. Uh, that might be discussed in a particular forum. Um, and as those items are being discussed, uh, details around them are updated in real time to indicate um, what what's being discussed, what's being considered, new items that might uh, appear, things like that. Uh, and I was interested in um, looking at the idea of how a mobile app might be part of that. Uh, so... Basically, components of this were a um, an editor that someone could use to edit the details of these items, uh, a viewer, a web-based page where people could just follow along live with changes. Um, and then I thought uh, the, the mobile app part of it could be um, a way of registering for notifications if, uh, you know, at the start of the day, you might use the app to have a look at what items are due to be discussed, um, register your interest in a particular one, and then uh, you'd get a push notification uh, if when that item started to be discussed or if any of the details about it changed. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I used uh, Azure for that. Um, and it was really good for, for those sorts of things. It was, it was nice. So the bits that I used was, um, I don't know their brand names for these things, but there's basically storage. So kind of, you know, like a database table in the cloud. Yep. Uh, I just used a simple, a couple of 
simple tables, one to store the business items, one to store subscriptions of people who had registered via their app to be notified. Um, and they expose a kind of RESTful API to interact with that storage so you can you know, do the basic CRUD operations. Uh, and then they have got client libraries for, they've got a JavaScript library you can use for your web apps. They've got an iOS library for your mobile apps. They've got C-sharp libraries for Windows Mobile. And I think they've got a Java library for Android. Um, so I used the JavaScript library and the Objective-C library uh, to interact with this basic backend storage and wrote a couple of little web clients, one that had read-write access so that it could edit it, another that just uh, read when you load on on page load, went and got a list of all the items. Um, also had integration. They've got make it really easy to integrate with other services. Um, so Azure has already got integration with Apple's push notification service. Um, but something that I wanted was that uh, on the web page that displayed these items, that it would update kind of live in real time as things changed. Um, and Azure has the option to add uh, an integration with pusher.com. Have you guys ever heard or seen Pusher? This is probably not a web development podcast, is it? But anyway, it's really kind of related. So pusher.com is a um, hosted web sockets um, implementation. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, and they give you a little JavaScript library that allows you to, you know, with two lines of code, subscribe to a topic on a web socket kind of message broker. Um, and as Windows is your mobile services can be integrated with that. Again, you just kind of set it up in their portal and then there's kind of like one line of code to send a message to the um, WebSockets broker and then any page that is subscribed will receive, you know, a, a callback and, and, with the yeah. message and can just then manipulate the DOM or do whatever you want to display it. Yep. Um, and so it was really simple to sort of set something up that would give uh, sort of live dynamic updates of a, a particular web page. And then... Uh, with the mobile app, basically allow people to register for things that they're interested in. And um, the kind of integration point in Azure is uh, when you do an insert or a update of any of the items in the storage, um, they provide a little bit of JavaScript. Uh, it's Node um, JavaScript that you can modify. So the basic insert operation, the basic update operation, uh, you do the default, which is to save it to the save the changes to the storage and then after you've done that you can do whatever you like run your own code um, so in my update for the business item stuff um, my code would then uh, fetch the list of subscriptions uh, that relate to that item and then go through and send a push notification to each and send a message to pusher.com for any of the things um, so it's kind of like just basically editing a little bit of JavaScript for each of these uh, read-write sort of database operations gives you the ability to start doing some pretty complex stuff. That's cool. Cool, because I have no idea how to do that stuff. Web web stuff scares me. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I kind of wonder um, where, how, how much the kind of ease of use continues as you get closer to the complexity of a real-world app. So playing around with kind of an idea and testing something out like I was doing is one thing. But then if you actually wanted to put it into production and turn it into a real thing, I kind of felt like surely I'm going to hit a wall at some point. Yeah, what do you do if you need to just tweak this little thing slightly? Yeah. It's just a black um, box. And same with the iOS library for it. It kind of seemed straightforward. Like um, the iOS library seems 
very syntactically similar to the JavaScript one, where they kind of have this um, Windows Azure table object, and you say you ask your Azure like the topmost entry point into the API is a, a Windows Azure client. I think it's called an MS, I don't know, whatever, some client, and then that client has a thing, a method where it'll get you a table for a given identifier. And then you get the table object, and then the table object will get you, will you allow you to query it, and will return results. And so it kind of feels very much like kind of databasey, you know, um, which is fine because that's basically what it is. Yeah, and so it, it was kind of fine. But I, I wonder um, how well that would work if you had a quite a complex model with lots of related entities and relationships between them. Um, it's not. It's far from what core data is, for example, where core data kind of um, is an object model where all of your objects are related to one another, whereas this is really much around a table which consists of results. I think if you want to traverse relationships, you've got to do a little bit more yourself. It, it sounds it sounds more like, right, that it's, it's, it's kind of like a... a, a step like a, a, a drop-in replacement for for like restful apis and stuff like that rather than say something that you use to store things on your device mostly because yeah like if it's if it's not going to be able to relate you know yeah. one object to another object then it's pretty useless but in that instance then you don't really have this this the same sort of the when you get like a, a json object back from a like from a server somewhere uh it doesn't relate to anything but it may have relations to another object so you know in multiplex i have uh i have books chapters and strips and a book you know contains chapters which contains strips and they all kind of relate to each other in this kind of tree model uh and i mean i don't pass them back set up like that because it would be a ridiculous uh json you know, structure but i do like i i do you know basically say okay this has you know this relates to book whatever uh and then i basically drop that into core data and say okay you 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 know relate to this book so you should you know you should attach right. yourself to that uh and then it you know automatically does the does makes the relation there so i can just you know call the you know chapter.book and it'll give me what i want yeah, and I think that's probably a fair assessment that it's more like a, a replacement for a a yeah, restful API where instead of getting back JSON or XML that you have to parse into objects yourself, uh there's a client library that talks to the service for you and gives you back an array of objects or a, a dictionary of of objects. Um and you still then need to do whatever you want to do locally with it. Yeah. Um whereas I was kind of, in my mind, thinking that on one, like um, Windows Azure Mobile Services was an option for interacting with the server, as was something like Helios. Have you guys seen Helios? I've heard of Helios. Which is, uh, again, Matt with three Ts. He's, That's he's right. everywhere, that man. He's he is everywhere. I, I, was, I, so was, I was putting together the... Uh, the like the acknowledgements for, for Multiplex the other day and I'm going through them and obviously I was using I'm using AF networking for that because I mean pretty much everybody is uh but there were like two other libraries that I came across that I had no idea that he was involved in and it, like it just you know got me right Matt yeah it seems he's everywhere a very talented guy so Helios it runs on top of Heroku 
Um, yes, I have heard of this, and I think we've discussed this before. Yeah, because we discussed. Uh, you know these sort of options way back. I think in maybe episode two or maybe three. Maybe episode one, two. Early it on, was very early on. But we didn't really like. We I think we got asked the question and then we didn't really have an answer for it other than okay, well this is what we've done and here are some of the other options that are out there that we've heard of. Yeah, don't so know more than that about. I've still got that list in my head of different options I want to try, and I had this sense that Helios and Windows Azure mobile services were peers. Um, and I kind of think they're quite different. Like Helios, I haven't used it myself yet, but I've read a bit about it and spoken to others that have. Seems more geared around um, using AF Incremental Store. Yes. Uh, which is an implementation of NS Incremental Store, which is a way of basically um, transparently bridging your core data model to the network. So you, you have a kind of, instead of a RESTful API, you, you basically have an API running in the cloud you're, that provide the connect as the data source for your core data you're basically creating you know a core you know iCloud for core data uh mm. yourself with 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 that sort of service yeah and um, that kind of seems like yeah if your app is built around the idea of having a local data store which manages quite a complex graph of related objects i think that is a better fit yeah whereas if your app's really ha- has to deal with a network service every now and then to get a little bit of information to sort of display or um, to go with, then maybe uh, Azure is a better, yeah. So to kind of give this a, a more concrete example uh, and to make sure that I've got it right, you're suggesting that Azure would probably be better for something like, say you wanted to build the next, you know, the next Twitter. And I'm not saying a Twitter client, I'm saying the next Twitter. So uh you know, it it basically provides the tweets are f- fairly you know you know depend like they're not dependent on anything. They're independent objects. They don't really have a lot of relations. Uh, they might relate to each other, but that's usually through like an ID uh, rather than you know an actual object relation uh, hierarchy. So Azure would be for things like the next Twitter, where it's you know very simple structures, very you know straightforward. Um, and, and very network dependent, where where pretty much every time you're using your app, it's talking to network services. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're building something more like Pages or Keynote or you know a, an app that provides functionality in and of itself separate from its network services, but that has complex data storage needs that you might at yeah, some point or, want to push or, to the cloud. Or you want to be able to, you know, you, you have a, it's a service where you have, you know, a web-based version and, a, and a, you know, like a desktop-based version and stuff like that. If you, like, if, core, if, if iCloud for core data isn't going to serve your needs, which, let's be honest, up until now, it really, it hasn't hey, they, served anybody's They claim needs. they fixed it. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not, I haven't I, tried. I haven't tried it, so I'm not going to, so I'm not going to. The thing that you've highlighted there that I think is, is, huge win for Azure is that it doesn't just have an iOS library. So whereas iCloud is is great, but what if you want to do a website that provides that? You know, say say you wanted to do a to-do list app and you wanted to sync That's your a to-do great list idea. between, wow. between your devices. Uh, so iCloud would let you sync a to-do list between Mac app and your iOS app. But if you wanted to provide a web interface to the to-do list for people to use when they weren't, you know, when they wanted a bigger screen but weren't in front of their Mac, 
uh, you, you can't do anything. You got to build. You got to build your own infrastructure. Whereas Azure has a JavaScript API, Objective C, C Sharp, Java, um, and there are others like Pars. Again, I think we mentioned way back when has the same set of platforms that it supports. Um, and I think having that web version is critical. For there's a huge. I mean, there's probably a huge class of apps where you don't need that. Um, but if you do, then you know the fact that it's missing from iCloud is a big issue. Yeah, and I mean, even having if if you had the web-based uh, API for iCloud, I think you could get you could get all the other devices in there somehow anyway. And yeah, exactly. I, I guarantee you that in the same way that all these services have cropped up because of how uh, poopy <laughs> <laughs> iCloud for Cornada has been. I was trying to search for a family-friendly way of saying that. Yeah. Unreliable? <laughs> yeah. I like poopy better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, all of these services have popped up because of that, right? Uh, and it, it basically, if if iCloud ever released a, you know, cre- if they ever created a web API, like a RESTful API for accessing your core data stuff uh, through that so that you could build web web apps based on it which let's be honest it won't uh i can guarantee you that at some stage somebody would build a service out of that actually that's a good idea why don't we have like we set up a a, a rack of of like ipod mac, touches mac, no just mac minis right we'll put a rack of mac minis in in a place somewhere and basically we provide an app that all it does is get from get core data stuff and provide an, a web a interface, web interface for it and pushes that, that out to the there'd probably be some sort of license agreement issue around it i mean i think this is actually a really interesting point it's about the difference between apple's incentives here as a sort of incumbent that are the most popular mobile platform potentially, arguably, um, is that they can provide a service that is only available on their devices. And they w- that it's, it's, and it's, it's in their interest in to do their so. Interests, yeah. Whereas Microsoft's, um, they're not going to get developers to rush out and use their service if it was just for Windows Mobile. But providing a great platform for iOS that also happens to have a Windows Mobile client you could go out and build your web version, your iOS version, your Android version, and go, well, I could just do a Windows Mobile one as well while I'm here. Yeah. It integrates mm. easily. I think it's a really good strategy that they're doing. Um, yeah, I don't know that it's going to mean that Windows Mobile is going to suddenly become a serious contender. Um, I, you know, I'd love, I'd actually love to see Windows Mobile do better in the marketplace. Um, I think it's, you know, would only benefit all of the platforms to have, uh, more competition and more innovation. So for those of you at home who can't see, uh, I would like to remind you that this this uh, episode is not is not sponsored by Microsoft Azure. No, not at all. I was just messing with If we've still got time, uh, I messed with one other API that uh, isn't a Microsoft API. We've, we've got a little bit of time left, yeah. Um, it's just it's actually something a bit quite interesting. Uh, it's called Moodstocks, um, which is an odd name. I think they're French. Not Does suggesting it, that French people are odd at all. Do they change colour when you your mood changes? Oh, like mood rings. Actually, it's stocks, right? So maybe it's like like cooking stocks, or maybe it changes flavour mm. when yeah, your mood changes. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how the name relates to the service at all. But okay. anyway, the services are for natural feature recognition or image recognition. 
So instead of uh, using, say, for example, a QR code as an identifier that your phone can recognize in order to um, go and get some extra information, this idea is uh, tra- you, using the camera of your phone to recognize an actual thing that it's looking at, most often an image. Right. I've seen that sort of thing before, right? Um, Newspapers and magazines have been doing it a bit where they'll have like um, this, you know, extra information alongside a news article. You use, use their app and look at the photo in the article in the print edition of the paper and that'll then identify what article you're looking at and will yep. display some extra information for you. So the other place that I've seen it, I think, is Lego stores in the in the US. Um, when I was there last, uh, they had these kind of kiosk things in the stores that you could walk up to with a box of Lego and you could hold the box out in front of it and it would show you, like, in augmented reality... Um, yeah, the the model built on top of the box. Right. Wow. right, that is awesome. So mm. that's exactly the sort of thing this platform saw. Um, it I think Moodstocks provides multiple parts of that puzzle. Like they do the yeah. augmented reality. Like you could load a three D model into it, and it'll it's got some APIs to help let you overlay that on top of imagery. Um, the bit I was playing with was just the image recognition of just saying, uh, say for example, I'm in an art gallery and I'm looking at a painting, um, and I want to know a bit about the painting. Um, you can have an image of that painting that you've loaded into the Moodstocks API and you hold your device up and your camera looks at the painting and it will tell you which painting it is and once you know that, you can then go and get some extra information and do what you like. Um, and it's really cool. It, it, so Moodstocks, I had a look at a few of them, um, read about a bunch of them, tried out a couple. Moodstocks I liked because it does the recognition on device uh, and it's incredibly fast. And really scarily accurate um so i trained it i think i'm just using the demo mode where you get 10 you can train it to recognize 10 images yep um and i trained it to recognize 10 images and um i just took photos of the things i wanted to recognize with my iphone's camera uh and then uploaded them to the website um and then you get the part of the library that they give uh when you on app launch you contact us contacts the website to get the latest list of images image data about the images you can recognize. And at that point, the actual rest of the time, it can just run on your device. So it doesn't actually need a network connection to do the recognition. Um, and it's not like an asynchronous network call, like doesn't submit an image of what you photographed to their service to have them send back the details. Um, it basically runs the algorithm on your device um, and derives whatever mathematical details it gets from the image in real time. It sounds like it's a neural network and it's yeah. passing back training data. Yeah, I think I think that sounds about right. The data you get back is small, um, mm. and it, it runs incredibly quickly. Um, so much so, like it really freaked me out. Like you know, you just kind of hold your phone up at an obscure angle, a fair distance away from the thing, and straight away it tells you what it is. Um, wow! Welcome to the future. Yeah, I, I quite like it. Uh, yeah. So one of the problems I have with an idea like that generally, though, is um trying to find situations where you can use it in a way that feels good for users. So I think the Lego one is great because um, it's in a store, they provide the hardware, and it's a set bit of content. Like pretty much any Lego box in that store, it'll probably recognize. Yeah, it'll look, they you know, they control what yeah. it looks like, yeah. But you're not going to be confused by it and, and put some other toy under it or... Whereas the thing I ha- the problem I have with using a phone that people carry around in somewhere like an art gallery, um, unless you 
do every single artwork in the collection. Then you have this weird issue where the user walks around holding their phone up and pointing it at things, <laughs> not knowing whether the thing they're pointing it at or not will be recognized. Yeah. yeah. And so you have this, is it just that it hasn't recognized it yet? wave it around wildly, sit there for hours going, it's not working. Or is it that the thing I'm standing in front of is in fact not among the artworks that, you know, there's extra information about? You would have to you'd have to register everything in a in a location to be able to yeah, do that, yeah. I think you would. Um and that kind of feels and like, you know, that doesn't feel like a huge step forward from QR codes. Like it's one of the things I don't like about QR codes is like, you know, point but it's not a, a familiar, comfortable way to carry a device. You don't really walk around with it stretched out it's kind of either sits in your pocket or in your yeah you know so i kind of like the idea of potentially using other other ways of determining your proximity relative to a point of interest than having to rely on the camera um but i'm still interested in sort of using the camera i saw i saw a photo yesterday on twitter of of qr the qr code instructions on the back of a yellow pages which were great they were hilarious so it was it was basically you know what you know what's this it had a big QR code and it said what's this it's a QR code and it stands for uh you know quick response code blah 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 uh it's you know it help it's it's a quick and easy way of of getting you know this app onto your onto your phone yell yell app you know then three steps you know uh if you don't have if you don't have a uh, a QR code reader then you should go into your app's web browser and search for QR code scanner. Download a QR code scanner is step two. Uh, use the scanner to to scan the QR code, uh, and uh, and you will have yell.com or whatever it was uh, on your on your phone, and you will have access to it. And then it had or simply type <laughs> app.yell.com into your <laughs> into your phone's web browser. Ah, oh, dear. Yes. QR codes. So pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think this image recognition is a step beyond QR code because instead of having to artificially label all of the things you want people to recognize with a code, you can actually use the thing itself, yeah. which is cool. But I still don't think it's quite there because um, you've got that problem of what things can I point my device at and am I going to get something back and what things aren't I? Um yeah. But th- that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't uses for that. Mm. Uh, there is there is plenty of uses that you could use that for. Stores can use it, obviously, yeah. like the Lego store can u- use that to, you know... And, you know, for example, membership cards for things, right? Like, yeah. often you have a membership card that has a photo of you and a barcode. Yeah. Well, you probably don't need the barcode anymore. If, if once this technology is more widespread, why not use the photo as your identifier? Cause well, why even need a card then? Why not just scan your face? Right. So, Moodstocks makes it clear that they're not facial recognition. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. They've got a fact. This is, does Will Moodstocks recognize a face? And they say, we're not facial recognition. If, however, you present an image that matches the one you trained it with, it will recognize it. So, I, I it'd be interesting it. yeah. to test um, how many different, like how close does your face need to look to the photo that you trained it. So if you're having a particularly bad morning, have well, I don't know. It, it, it could even be like any slight change. Like it could actually it depends on their algorithm, right? Yeah. Like if they're literally like sampling, I don't know, certain data about the actual image that they first saw. Um, the tra- testing I did worked uh, when, like, I took photos with my iPhone of paintings on a wall 
trained it and it would recognize those paintings on a wall but it would also recognize those images when they when i pointed my phone's camera at my computer screen that was displaying that image so like a reproduction of the same image you know like a different size in different lighting conditions and still worked um so and it recognized the, the image on a wall the from question a is this will it will it be able to could it could it recognize you based on an image that you've given it Mm. If you your hair was a little bit longer, you had a little bit more stubble. It'd be kind of fun to mess with. Wouldn't you it? Had put clown makeup on for some reason. Yeah, don't share my secrets. <laughs> on that on that note, <laughs> wow, uh, I think it's probably about time to end. Uh, if you have any questions, or if you have anything that you would like to to talk about uh, on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, those questions were great. I enjoyed that. Thanks, mm. thanks, Ben, for, for sending in your questions. Not you, Ben. The other Ben. I like this other Ben. He's cool. Ben's of a feather flock together? No, I don't know. <laughs> that was terrible. So, if you have any questions, if you have anything that you would like us to talk about, you can uh, you can tell us to do so. We'd love to hear, actually. We'd love to hear uh, what you guys are working on and things that you, like, uh, techniques that you guys have used. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, you know, uh, you're deep or meaningful or anything like that. Just, you know, it can be just something very simple and we'd love to hear from from you about that because, uh, you know, we're, we're really just here to, you know, facilitate everybody working working together. Yeah, it'd be nice if this was a conversation. Between yeah. more than just the three of us, and it, it feels more that way when uh, people like Ben contribute I, questions. So thank you. I, I am I am getting a little bit sick of hearing Jake talk. <sighs> I missed last week's episode already. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> so if you would like to 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 uh, get the conversation going from your side, you can send us uh, you can send us an email, uh, mobilecouch.co forward slash contact, or you can talk to us on Twitter. Jake is J McMullen. J M A C M U W L I N. Ben is at Ben Trengrove, B E N T R E N G R O V E. And I am at Jelly Bean Soup. Uh, if you would like to see any show notes, uh, we will probably link to a few things uh, that we've talked about in this particular episode. You can do that as well. Mybookouch.co forward slash 12. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. See ya.